I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I am a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We are wrapping up our deep dive into villainous sixes. Yeah. Had a fantastic time with the Steve Morris last time. Man, that was so much fun. Now I just want to talk about Ayn Rand. Is that what we're going to do this time? I am going, I can set you up to talk about Ayn Rand <laughs> and I can tell you the five things I know about her that could constitute a paragraph of no, useless information. fine. I don't need it. <laughs> you guys were busting out <laughs> names of characters and everything. Yeah, it was great. Well, for our dear listeners who are consuming this, not when it's released, we are in December right now. And December is the time where, I don't know if, it, if you're like this, but my movie shelf gets slightly adjusted because there's a handful of movies I want to grab and it's like, I only watch these movies in December. Right. They are, uh, they're not necessarily Christmas movies, but they're December movies. I don't know what constitutes a December movie, but, but certainly it's there. Do you have a December movie that you routinely come back to? Well, I, uh, this, this one isn't necessarily by choice. It's more like peer pressure got me here. Um, but I, I am one of the many people that like December is the time to rewatch Lord of the Rings. Mm. You stole mine. <laughs> I told you. Peer Maybe pressure. I'm the one. I'm only. I'm the one giving the prefer. <laughs> then I'm only doing it because my friends do it because they're cool and I want to be cool. <laughs> now it just like it just makes sense because we have all this free time in December. That's it's like what it this is. is. It's it's nice. It's 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 basically like the Christmas cookies of movies. You know. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's not too long to where it feels like a binge, but it's long enough to get a big blanket and lay down all day long or for two days or three days. Right. Love. I always take my copies of the Lord of the Rings to my family members' homes. Wherever we're going to go, they'll probably have a DVD player, and I'm going to find a, a corner to watch those movies. Yeah. It's perfect. Bang. Well, speaking of Lord of the Rings and speaking of Villainous Sixes, that might be where we go uh, for part of our time today. We're going to we're going to do our dive into the other characters that are villains and sixes. Uh, last time obviously we did the Tyler Durden and this time there's a there's a handful that that we could have talked about and one of them we've already done extensively. Right. For those of you who have gotten a chance to listen to our Star Wars deep dive, you will know that we typed Darth Vader, aka Anakin Skywalker as a Enneagram six, and we spent a good two hours on that character. Right, I and there's a lot to talk about. But right? he's definitely a six. Anyone else who's going to argue with us, you're wrong. He's a six. This world is about fear. Fantastic study. If you're, if you want to see really the difference between a six and an eight, there's a ton that we discussed with that character. Anyway, right. that's the first episode of our Star Wars 
podcast, and most of our time was kind of spent saying this is why this is coming from a six motivation and not an eight motivation. Right. Um, the other character that we've done a villainous deep dive on already is Nebula from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Yeah, I think there was a, a fair amount of... Yeah, we, we disagreed a little bit because there's, there's, there's a pretty significant amount of trauma behind hers, and, and trauma breaks it, all the rules, so... I mean, we're typing fictional characters, so it kind of it could go anyway. Anyway, but uh, yeah, trauma makes a significant impact on on how behavior looks. Um, but I think we we came down on her as a six. I think I had her as a one, but she fell in our mistyping podcast. So we did two mistyping podcasts for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a great discussion. I really liked yeah. getting into that character. For whatever reason, that that's one of those characters that as I'm watching those movies, I don't uh, resonate with, relate to really in, uh, in the first viewing. Sure. But it's the second and third viewings where I'm really, oh, this is actually one of the richer, more depthy characters. And, and I think we discussed this, one of the characters that represents the most growth as well. Yes. Yeah. Two other superhero characters that... Just to mention them, we're not doing the deep, deep dive here, but there might be something we're saying here. Bane from Batman from the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh, yeah. Strikes me as a six-ish. Yeah, sure. But I guess that would like mainly come out in the fact that he's not the one who's actually got the plan. He's just enacting the plan. That's it. Right. The thing that I was mulling over was... If we typed him as a six, his motive is to tear down an entire social order, financial order, just like Tyler Durden's is. Sure. And there's the villainous side coming out. If we say that villainy is the low side of our security number, if he's trying to get to nine or if that's where he's living, it's if I remove these institutions, then everything will be peaceful. If I just destroy all the things then there will be some kind of peace. It's real similar hmm. to Tyler Durden. Sure. Uh, the other one that kind of hit me was Mystique, who is also that second-in-command assassin character, especially in the first set of X-Men movies. Sure. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if the reason... She's portrayed by Ro- Rebecca Romaine. Right. She is... There's another trauma victim, for right. sure. She's, she's really... I don't know if it's fleeing, but she certainly is motivated to never go back to where she came from and to even show you how she's never going to go back. Sure. Very aggressive character, but I don't think that that aggression is that 378 aggression. feels more like a reckless aggression. Like a counterphobic six a little bit more? Yep. Yeah. There is a strong loyalty in that character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And... uh, yeah. Anyway, the, and it was again the case when I was just looking at dialogue. I just couldn't find really the angle to really talk about there. Well, especially because Rebecca Romaine's version of Mystique has what six lines in yeah. three or four movies, right? <laughs> so. Well, we're gonna do a jump into the Tolkien universe um, because one of the villains for Tolkien struck us both as having a lot of six going on. It's that second in command. It's that potentially motivated by not only self-doubt, but a lot of anxiety that's influencing real bad decisions. And there is this, I just need to make things peaceful 
you know, with the way that the villainy seems to come out, which we'll talk about. You want the before we get into Saruman, uh, you want to talk about uh, six is going to the villainous side of nine. Yeah, so we're uh, we're in in this within this whole series. We're talking about villainy shows up at the unhealthy or low side of the security move. So when sixes are unhealthy, but they are in a secure place, like they feel like they they know what's going on. They're they're in the groove. They're things are going well for them, and they feel secure they might move toward nine and pick up some of the characteristics there. But on the unhealthy side of nine, like when sixes move there in a healthy way, they get things like, like they, they're less stressed about planning for all the things. They take it easy a little bit. When they go there in unhealthy ways, they pick up some, some laziness, some stubbornness, some, some of the characteristics of nine that are are less healthy, like there's there's more of a a drive to make things around them calm at all costs, mm. to sort of detach from reality a little bit more, and to ignore those things that are telling them that they need to. Uh, prepare to watch out for danger. Like nines are really bad at, at seeing danger up ahead and sixes are really good at it. And when sixes in an unhealthy way go to nine, I, they're, they're not looking out for danger. They, they pick up some recklessness. Saruman is a wonderful villain. I, I don't know if you're with me on this, but I don't know that there's enough to really type this character solidly as a six, sure. but if we assume six motives, I think there's lots of fun stuff to talk about here. Yeah. And of course, Christopher Lee's performance, just fantastic as always. Absolutely amazing. His introduction in Fellowship of the Ring, which I didn't ever read Tolkien prior to these movies, so I had no idea what was coming up. And the introductory scene is one of the great villain introductions. There, there are. Yeah. Took me by surprise, and I was emotionally just all in once uh once the action starts here yeah this is the scene where um gandalf is going to be traveling to isengard and telling sauron that the ring of power has been discovered and this you know the the shots here obviously all three of the lord of the rings films got nominated for best picture in the final uh one return of the king won the award but everything here the scenery the friendship the betrayal the seasoned man who turns dark late in life, I think is just really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I can name another character like that, that it's in their latter years where they, I mean, I suppose like Walter White, they break bad later on. Sure. But uh, listener, you'll know the story. The um, Gandalf is panicked. He arrives. Sauron, who is the source of evil in Middle Earth, is if he's able to acquire this ring that's held by one of uh, Gandalf's friends, one of these hobbits, um, this would allow Sauron to dominate all of Middle-earth, which is his great ambition. And Gandalf and Saruman are two wizards. And this scene begins with Gandalf coming in, finding Saruman, and saying, this huge event has happened. We found this ring, and he needs advice and strategy. Um, I think we could also type Saruman as a five or an eight 
as I'm watching these. Sure. But I really like Six. I mean, he is portrayed as the wisest of his order. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, there's, there is a certain ivory tower-ness about his character. <laughs> <laughs> it's black! <laughs> it's made out of volcanic rock or something. Oh, right. It's not ivory. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> One of the things that appeals to me most, actually, with Saruman as a six, is how much Saruman's story parallels Darth Vader's. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch at all to think that Lucas is probably looking at this character for some of the beats. Sure. Um, They are both the number two in their universe, and they are enslaved by fear. Yeah. Uh, Vader to Palpatine and Saruman to Sauron. Um, They are forced into great conflict with a man who was once their brother, Gandalf and Obi-Wan. And they are uniquely gifted with magic or the ability to use the Force. And just a real, real similar parallels going on there. And essentially, for Vader, it's go kill all the Jedi, and for Saruman, it's go destroy Rohan. Right. Um, the the place that they have lived, they've dwelled. This has been their community. Um, you see this in the last of the movies, in Return of the King, in the extended version. Saruman has a discussion with the king of Rohan about his betrayal, and the function is real similar there. And also, I suppose Saruman is a good man who is, you know, turned evil. He's not just always that person. Well, and and by fear that he experiences from visions of the future. Yep, and that's the and that's the big turn for both of them, huh? Right. Is there something about uh, villainous? We didn't go down this road with Vader, so this might be interesting to talk about. But if you are living in a secure space, which Saruman certainly is, and Anakin certainly has quite a bit of power. Is there something about the low side of nine where you just want to keep everything the way it was? I, yes, but I think a better phrase for these characters is the path of least resistance. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because I I think that's more the motivator for Saruman than anything else. It's not about keeping things the way they used to be. It's about mm-hmm. recognizing that things are going to change and this is the path of least resistance. This is the one where I have to do the less, least amount of work. Yeah. Both these characters are also really characterized by a turn towards machinery. Hmm. Um, Anakin becomes a machine. Saruman rips up everything at Isengard and turns it into a weapons manufacturing machinery of industry. Yeah. Yeah. And the, there's a line in Tolkien that's actually about Saruman's brain working that way. Hmm. But it just is, uh, the, his, uh, his humanity, just like Anakin's has become more mechanical in nature. Sure. Anyway, seems to me we can, we can see some of that six spirit and character construction that we see in Vader. We can see that also in, uh, in Saruman. So, yeah, you want to get into this opening scene from The Fellowship of the Ring? Let's do it. We see Gandalf galloping through the gates into the forest of Isengard, and there's a great ring wall of stone. It's like a mile from rim to rim, and it encloses trees and gardens and waters and streams. And there is a huge black tower in the middle, which we've talked about. And Saruman has this voiceover as we watch Gandalf come up, and he says, Smoke rises from the mountain of doom. The hour grows late 
and Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard, seeking my counsel. A lot of time is spent in this intro hearing that Saruman knows things are going real badly right. in his world. Right. Yeah, he's clearly paying attention. And I, I suppose if we type him as a six and Gandalf is riding up, it's like, oh man, here we go. More stuff. Now things, what is the path of least resistance at this point in time? To see how, see if he can turn his friend. Yeah, and yeah. there it is. And that's how, how he's going to hear everything. He's, he plays his information close to the chest. Right. That, that feels, you know, pushing into five. If he's a six, he's pushing into some five there in terms of I'm not going to just come out and say, here are all the things. Yeah. Well, sixes also aren't very likely to share their own, their own thing. Like the, Ooh, cause, I mean, they, they doubt themselves. They, they don't trust themselves and, and they keep their private business to themselves. Let's see if that that plays out in terms of how the, that opening conversation goes. Because yeah. he does get new information. And uh, he walks down those steps. And uh, Saruman says, uh, Gandalf's seeking come seeking my, my counsel. Well, that is why you have come, is it not, my old friend? And then they begin a discussion. And they're walking through the gardens of Isengard. And Saruman's in this clean white robe. Really contrasted by Gandalf, who's, who's dingy and, and gray here. And Saruman looks surprised. So the ring of power has been found. All these long years, it was in the shire, under my very nose. And yet you did not have the wit to see it. Your love of the halfling's leaf has clearly slowed your mind. But we still have time. Time enough to counter Sauron if we act quickly. Time? What time? Let's just pause there. Do you hear anything about that initial conversation before they go inside? The the criticism that he mm -hmm. brings for the, to Gandalf. You're, I mean, like nobody knew that it, the Ring of Power had been found. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. So why is it Gandalf's fault that he didn't recognize it? Something that is like. The last time it was it was prevalent in history was a thousand years ago, <laughs> but Gandalf of all people didn't recognize it. How dare you? Because you like the the tobacco so much. It's like, well, okay, come on, guy. But there's there is a um, how did you not see this danger coming about that? Yep. Is that would that be a I have this superpower. I can see all the dangers. Why can't you see the dangers? And and an assumption that why aren't you looking out for dangers the way that I expect other people should be? Mm. So it's not just about I I could have seen that, but but you should be it like one of the things that that comes out about sixes is that I, I think it's more prevalent in a lot of sixes that they don't understand why other people aren't looking out the same way that they are. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. That's a good line. I've uh, Of all things, what went through my head wasn't about sixes. That seemed to me to be something that's probably true of all types. That why can't, why aren't you seeing the world the way I do? Right. It is. And I here, think it, it's more noticeable in conversation with sixes. Huh? Sure. At least in my experience. Yeah. 
I could see that being the case with ones as well, where it's like, can't you see that this is the right thing to do? Can't you, for sixes, can't you see this is the thing that's going to get us? Isn't well, but, it just but ones will want to, to say, oh, you can't see this here. Let me help you understand this. Mm-hmm. Sixes, it's a, more of a focus on the fact that they don't see it in the first place. Ah, uh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, we cut inside to Saruman's chambers. And the two are seated, and this is and this is a fantastic office. I mean, if you if you're really into dark medieval office space, you know this one's for you. Right, <laughs> it's, it's, books it's got the right everywhere. candles. It's really light outside, but it's still pretty shadowy inside. And yeah, he apparently has like a vaulted ceiling to die for here, man. Right, this, this thing is real tall. <laughs> <laughs> Saruman says. Sauron has regained much of his former strength. He cannot yet take physical form. Because he doesn't have the ring. But his spirit has lost none of its potency. Concealed within his fortress, the Lord of Mordor sees all. His gaze pierces cloud, shadow, earth, and flesh. You know of what I speak, Gandalf. A great eye, lidless, Breathed in flame. You see anything there? The one thing that stands out to me about this is that he none of this is drawing attention to Sauron's badness. Oh, sure. Yeah, like, it's all like, about power. And, yeah. and and none of it is is negative. Mm-hmm. It's just an acknowledgement. It's not negative though. That's excellent. Talk about that with sixes attaching without moral qualms. You know what I mean there? Well, I because I it's stemming from the fact that sixes don't trust themselves. They're looking for an authority figure. They're looking for uh-huh. some kind of system, some kind of set of rules. Like this is how things are supposed to be. And if you're an unhealthy six, you might attach to an authority that is also bad. And, and if, if that's now the set of rules, these are the rules that you live by. It's not some other set of rules. It's, it's like, this is the authority that I'm aligning myself with. And this is how I'm going to, to move now. Like these, these are the rules. Yep. Is there something there in terms of my, I want to call it fear. I don't know if that's the right word here, but my fear is much greater than my concern for what is good. Well, it's just overwhelming. Well, that's that's so this is this is one of the things about sixes and ones look very very similar. And I think we talked about a bit about this in the conversation with Steve, but um one's definition of goodness stems from an internal source. And and you might find ones who spend a good part of their life trying to make sure they define goodness in the correct way so that they know that that internal source is right. Six is their internal source, their, their, their source of goodness is external. So morality is then subjective, because yeah. what is right, what is wrong is defined by someone else's rules. Is it then we're going to look for those who will keep me the most secure and then their rules are going to be what we assume 
is then good. Right. If there is an internal source, then then that is going to be in continual conflict with the external set of rules. And this is part of the place where like sixes are are sort of glumming onto authority in a lot of ways. Um, but it's it's also the case that sixes are constantly pushing back against authority. Like, are you the correct set of of, of rules of boundaries to keep us all safe? Mm-hmm. And this is part of where that comes from. If there's an internal source of right or wrong that that sort of has been developed through through training, through parenting, whatever, then that is the place from which they are pushing back against the authority. If the six is has given themselves entirely over to the authority figure, then that may not ever come out. I want to say something there about trusting themselves. This is why trusting yourself is so important. Right. You are able to to then ask that question, what is what is good for me outside right. of somebody else's opinion? Exactly. Because if you if you if you are a six who does not ever trust themselves enough to question the authority in front of you, then the authority, the authority in front of you can get you to do all kinds of things that are not the right thing. Right. Saruman pushes further into that and does use a value term here. He says, He is gathering all evil to him. Very soon he will have summoned an army great enough to launch an assault upon Middle-earth. Radar for power, even here acknowledging that it's all evil, and yet, I mean, I suppose that's that's setting up much more in a black hat kind of way that Mm -hmm. if Saruman joins him, that he is acknowledging the wickedness in the heart of Sauron, yeah? Right. Gandalf says, You know this? Huh. I have seen it. And... This is a place that I'm real interested to, to hear your thoughts on this. Um, Gandalf and Saruman are going to walk over to uh, this stone. It looks like a glass sphere. It looks like a, what would you call that? It's a, it's a crystal ball. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to call it a magic ball, but that's wrong. You can still see the future in a magic ball, but is a magic eight ball? Magic eight ball. So, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> I never owned it. Did you ever own a magic eight ball? No. I knew lots of people that did, but. Ever give good advice those those eight balls? It's no. <laughs> this is called the Palantir. The Palantir is uh, the FaceTime of Middle Earth, and uh, <laughs> if you look into this crystal sphere, then you can see through it to the other Palantirs. But those who are looking through their Palantirs can also see you. I can see you. You can see me. That's how it works. There's no. Uh, what do you call that in Zoom? You're There's like, no mute function. Yeah, like, you don't. You can't turn off your camera. <laughs> I guess unless you wrap it in some type of cloth. That's it. That's yeah. that's that is the camera mute function. Um, Gandalf says a palantir is a dangerous tool, Solomon. And there's a reason that Gandalf thinks this. What's real interesting about Tolkien's use of the palantir is it always shows you something that's true, but everyone in the story, when they see facts through it, end up drawing the wrong conclusion. Every time the Palantir is brought up, 
that's what happens. So for example, Pippin looks into the Palantir and Sauron sees him and Sauron believes that Pippin has the ring and Sauron knows which Palantir Pippin has. He has Saruman's Palantir. Sure. Um, and so instead of chasing for Frodo, Sauron starts chasing for Pippin and that's why the assault on Minas Tirith in the, in the third movie. And so even Sauron is making the wrong conclusion through these Palantirs. Right. Um, and we see this over and over again. But here is one of the interesting ones is that Saruman decides to align himself with Sauron because he sees in the Palantir all the preparations that Sauron's making, but he concludes wrongly that there's no point in resistance. Right. That there's no possible way that we could overcome. And he becomes part of the problem. Right. The, I see the world and it fills me with anxiety here, perhaps, or I'm drawing the wrong conclusion based on the facts that are out there. I was, I, th- I thought there was something that would be said there for sixes. Well, there's, um, there's certainly a, a thinking repression happening here and a, um, decisions made out of doubt. Mm-hmm. So like like he sees Sauron he sees a that Sauron is still alive that Sauron has so much power still and decides that he is it is safer for him to join the winning side than to try and fight against it. Yep. And yeah, like there there's 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 no wisdom in that. Like it, it's 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 sort of just giving up. Yep. And saying, okay, well, I'll go where the winds blow me, which is sort of just that sa- that seems like really nine-ish of him. Ooh. He turned that in a different way. I, I was still just kind of sitting on the motive that's coming from anxiety and even a self-doubt. Like, mm-hmm. Saruman is a very powerful character. Yeah. Representative of the divine on Earth and yet decides to kneel here. And those those two actually go together. I like that, that, you know, it's both being blown, going the path of least resistance. Right. But you get there through self-doubt. Yeah. I see a lot of self-doubt here, especially because he acknowledges that Sauron is a force for wickedness. Right. Um, Gandalf throws the cloth back over the Palantir, and the eye of Sauron flashes and then we see Saruman rising up a little staircase and sitting on a throne. And it's as though he's elevated himself for a moment. And Saruman says, The hour is later than you think. Sauron's forces are already moving. The nine have left Minas Morgul. And this is news. This is all news to Gandalf now. Right. And Gandalf is likewise panicked. The nine. They crossed the river Eisen on Midsummer's Eve. Disguised as riders in black. They've reached the Shire. They will find the ring. And kill the one who carries it. Frodo. And Gandalf backs away and turns to run out the door. And the doors slam. And and college Jeff was watching this for the first time. And all of a sudden, my heart jumped. I was like, oh, oh no. He's, he's a bad guy. <laughs> See, I knew when I saw it was Christopher Lee. (laughs) (laughs) That guy played Dracula. 
guy was Count Dooku. Yeah. Definitely, I'm I've, I'm sure he's played m- much. What, what else? He's is, a really good bad guy. Oh, he's just just a bad guy. Instantly, a bad guy. He was a Bond villain. He was the yeah. man with. He had three nipples in the man with the golden gun. Yeah. He was the man with the golden gun. (laughs) The fact that the movie is called the man with the golden gun. And the first thing that came to my mind was he's a dude with three nipples. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Those bond villains, man, you got to give them some physical deformity to where you're like, gotta be something. This is something. Yeah. Saruman then says, I did not seriously think that a hobbit could contend with the will of Sauron. There are none who can. Ah, uh, is a great motive exposing line. Yep. You got anything there? And he's, he's, I don't know, there's much to say. And he's, he's clearly like, you can't fight this guy. And like the, the next thing that he's, you know, that he's going to say, we should join him or else we will die. <laughs> Talk about loyalty there. The we need to align ourselves with someone is big. I didn't, I never think in those terms, right? Who do I need to tribe up with? Well, again, that's that's about like the the finding the system or or the authority. And it's we say that sixes are the most likely to be thinking about the common good. It's like what is best for everyone, mm-hmm. and and I mean, we humanity forms civilizations for a reason. Like we're the best thing for everyone is to tribe up because when we're many hands, let make it work. So we should all be in this together. And when you're evil, then we should all be serving the evil Lord Sauron together. (laughs) That is an interesting point here. Like it's not as though Saruman bails his friend. He, he actually comes to Gandalf and says, we need to join him. Right. In fact, that's the next line. Against the power of Mordor, there can be no victory. And then there's a plea. We must join with him, Gandalf. We must join with Sauron. It would be wise, my friend. It's backdoor, but that's care for this other wizard. Right. This person that he's done life with forever. Right. I assume they, they have a very depthy relationship. Yeah. This is this is the path to the future. We should be in this together. Join me is something routinely said <laughs> by one Darth Vader. Yeah. There's a very communal element there. Gandalf knows exactly what's going on. I assume he's heartbroken, but it's materializing his anger. And he looks at him and he says... Tell me, friend, when did Saruman the wise abandon reason for madness? And of course, Saruman knows what that means. And Saruman goes, (laughs) and launches himself. Old man wizard battle. Man, I had never seen a wizard battle. I realize now that Obi-Wan and Darth Vader is in, in a way a wizard battle. Right. But this, this was new. Right. When 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 they started fighting, <laughs> I lost my mind. Yeah. I was like, this is this is the best thing ever. How have I not read these books? Yeah. They duel back and forth. They beat each other up in painful ways. Right. You know, I mean, they're bleeding and hitting this marble floor and they have stamina, but man, these are some old man bodies getting 
getting trashed in this scene. Right. Saruman sucks Gandalf's staff into his hands. So now he has both staffs, and he starts spinning Gandalf on the floor. And I watch this. Every time I watch this, I'm looking for the wire. Because mm, sure. it's such a great effect. Right. Him just spinning there. Yeah. And then Saruman says this, and this is a, this is a good ending line for us. He says, I gave you the chance of aiding me willingly, but you have elected the way of pain. You don't know what pain is. I just love it when pain <laughs> comes into movie scripts for some reason. Yeah. The, but the, the, you've elected the way of pain goes right down the path that you've been talking about in terms of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, there's, there's two paths here, man. You, you can join me or you can choose a way that's going to hurt a lot. There is no in-between. There's no other option. Brother, you don't know the power of the dark side. A lot of language there about walking one of two paths. Mm -hmm. And it's my side or the side, the side that I've joined or the side that's going to lose. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Vader, I mean, we talked about this in our Vader deep dive, but he doesn't opt for suicide. And because of that, he chooses the way of enslavement. Yeah. That becomes a line that Gandalf's going to throw back at him in a in a later movie. No, it's in this one. Let me re let me read something from Two Towers, but it's it's got a response from Gandalf that I think is real interesting. There's the the battle lines have been drawn, and when we get into the second movie, the armies are coming into form, and we hear the Saruman voiceover saying, "The world is changing." Who now has the strength to stand against the armies of Isengard and Mordor? He's given himself over, and there's these two huge armies of Orkai and Orcs. To stand against the might of Sauron and Saruman, and the union of the two towers. Together, my lord Sauron, we shall rule this place. Middle Earth. The old world will burn in the fires of industry. The forests will fall. A new order will rise. Here's some Star Wars language. We will drive the machine of war with the sword and the spear and the iron fist of the orc. We have only to remove those who oppose us. Lots of communal language in that voiceover. Mm -hmm. And I was curious for your thoughts on this. He thinks that somehow he's an equal with Sauron in that voiceover. It's like, I have a tower, you have a tower. We're a team and we're going to go dominate. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that he thinks he's an equal but I do think that he recognizes that he rules over this domain. And because he has completely given his allegiance to Sauron. That's what it is. That it's like, it is now always we language. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Gandalf has a great line in Fellowship. There is only one Lord of the Ring. Only one who can bend it to his will. He does not share power. Right. 
And that's the last thing that he says to Saruman before, you know, he jumps off of Isengard and onto an eagle and flies away. Right. And it's 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 specifically pointing out that like like Saruman does not yet understand that he is a dispensable puppet. Mm-hmm. Like he's given his allegiance to someone who does not care about him and he doesn't mm-hmm. get that yet. That's it. So. Well, just the final scene that he, that he has, uh, you've seen the extended version of this, of, uh, I exclusively watch yeah? the extended versions now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, that's the way it go, man. Um, well, it's, it's the opening scene. So in the last of the trilogy, we see, we see the defeated Saruman standing at the top of his tower, and he's speaking over uh, the king of Rohan has arrived, and Aragorn, who's the king of Gondor, has arrived, and their company, and Gandalf is with them. And Saruman needs to have a come-to-Jesus moment now. <laughs> he needs to apologize and say, I, well, gee, I messed that one up. He speaks to the king of Gondor, and again, he was trying to take over Gondor, and that's why he's addressing Theoden and not uh, addressing Gandalf uh, at first. You have fought many wars and slain many men, Theoden king, and made peace afterwards. Can we not take counsel together as we once did, my old friend? Can we not have peace, you and I? There's a lot of nine language going on right there mm-hmm. in terms of pursuits. Anything we're saying there? Cause this probably isn't a place where he is secure. Well, honestly, this might be moving more into a stress location. Okay. And, and picking up some deceitfulness from three. Ooh, that's a good line. And it's, it's the language of peace, but it's because he just lost a war and he's trying to not get killed. Let me get it back on your side. Yeah. By spinning things in a way that's advantageous to us. Yeah. Someone. Yeah. And, and uh, you were so good at making peace before. Can't we do that again? And, and like, it, it's all deceit. Like he's, yeah. he's lying. He has, he has no power in this moment. So. They mm-hmm. didn't, not amused. We shall have peace when you answer for the burning of the Westfold and the children that lie dead there. And he goes, he starts listing off the man's sins. <laughs> get some great language in that. Yeah. Gandalf wants to cut through all this and get to the point because there's still a war to fight in Gandalf's mind. And he says... Your treachery has already cost many lives. Thousands more are now at risk. But you could save them, Saruman. You were deep in the enemy's council. That seems like a great line from Gandalf in terms of, we need your help. Will you come back to this side? I don't know why Saruman doesn't. I mean, who's to say he wouldn't have? Yeah. I, th- okay. I, I think he's... he's He's dug in at this point. Like it's 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 all loyalty now. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, Saruman pushes back. He says, "So you have come here for information. I have some for you." And he pulls out the palantir. Something festers in the heart of Middle Earth. Something that you have failed to see, but the Great Eye has seen it. Even now. He presses his advantage. 
His attack will come soon. You're all going to die. But you know this, don't you, Gandalf? There it is. He still thinks Sauron will rule. Right. And that, that, that would be the deceptive side then, that opening line. Right. Yeah. If I can just buy time. Yeah. Don't worry. The, uh, the thing that's clearly not going to happen definitely is going to happen, and I just need to yeah. wait it out. Yeah. Yeah. Not very wise then to, to lose it here and says, I've seen in the Palantir you're all going to die. He wants to push his advantage here and says, are you going to trust in Aragorn, this ranger for the north? He mocks him. Maybe it's the case that as he's talking, he's convincing himself. No, I probably made the right choice. I just didn't or it's execute. Just, it's just he's towing the party line. Mm. He's Saruman, he's, the he's all man. in on Sauron now, and he's in it to win it. Yeah, Sauron or bust. Well, he uh, they try and get Wormtongue, who's behind him, to join their side and. Saruman he does it backhands him, and uh, <laughs> Wormtongue rises up, stabs him in the back. Yep. One of the few scenes that's actually very different from the books. Um, in the books, what ends up happening is the hobbits destroy the ring. They go back home to the Shire, and Saruman has taken over the Shire. Right. And uh, It's a whole thing. There's, like There's a whole, yeah, a whole section after they get back. It's crazy. Yep. The scouring of the Shire. Yeah. They return and have to have a battle with Saruman there. But the same thing happens when Tongue here he gets up behind him and he slits his throat. That's how he dies. Yeah. Any last words Weird. on Saruman? I I think it's easy to make arguments for other types for him, but but seeing like these are good descriptions of some of the ways that someone in a position like his, if they were a six, would completely give their entire will over to another power. Mm. That that gives was the part that stood out to me. That's like, well, he could be a six. So gives a lot. I mean, just rips everything that he's built down. Yeah, he had and, he had and, a real nice house and yeah, <laughs> like he he's he's down. been around for. Hundreds, possibly yeah. thousands of years. Yeah. He's the wisest of his order. Saruman the White and just gives it all away for yeah. fear. Has a rich identity. Yeah. yeah. And there it is. All right, man. We are moving to our other villainous six, which uh, is the operative from Firefly. Yep. Uh, you want to give the skinny on... Uh, on Firefly, on the Firefly universe? So uh, if you don't know what Firefly is, uh, you need to stop listening to this right now and go find Firefly and watch all of it because it's an amazing, spectacular, beautiful, hilarious, great show that was cut down in its prime because Fox didn't know what they were doing. They aired the show out of order of how the story was told, and it didn't make any sense when it was aired, and they canceled it before. There's Okay, there's a whole section <laughs> of nerddom that is still really upset about Firefly, and it's been like 15 years, mm -hmm. and it's just we're, we're really upset about how Fox ruined Firefly. But the show is amazing, and uh, Joss Whedon was able to make a movie 
after the TV show got canned to sort of wrap up the story. And the movie is is telling it, I mean, it's it's the same crew, it's the same people, and they are essentially ending the story that was going to be sort of the long version being told over the course of the show. Uh, and the operative is uh, played by, I always mess his name up. It's uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. I may cut that because I feel really uncomfortable saying his name. Uh, and an excellent actor. And he is, he shows up and you immediately can tell that he's uh, someone to be, not to be trifled with. Plays a very similar character in uh, Doctor Strange. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. His character. I mean, if if they ever bring his character back in Doctor Strange, I'm gonna guess yeah. that it's gonna be someone remarkably similar to yeah. who he was playing in Serenity. Fandom.com says this about the operative. He says the operative was an agent of the Union of Allied Planets. He's similar to a Black Ops agent. The operative's work was not acknowledged by the government. He didn't officially exist. He gave up his name upon becoming an operative, and he did not hold an official rank in the Alliance. His status as an operative could get him access to most Alliance facilities, as well as respect from those who knew what an operative was. He had been highly trained in close-armed and unarmed combat. Until he had his faith broken, he was unswervingly devoted to his cause. You got anything to say about sixes there? Cause it seems like there's some stuff. I mean, we talked about Darth Vader a ton and, yeah. and the operative is very similar to Darth Vader in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, Darth Vader is the number two to the emperor, but he doesn't yeah. have an official rank in the empire. Like he's not, mm-hmm. he's not part of their hierarchy except that he is the number two to the emperor. Yep. And in the same way, the operative basically doesn't exist. Like his whole job is to do whatever he's told. And he has like, he doesn't answer to anyone and nobody answers to him. And he basically doesn't exist. He's just like, he has all of the authority of the government and his, like he just, he shows up and he does a job and then he leaves. And that's love it. that image of, Black ops on that yeah. front. It's like, here's the side force that is completely controlled by those in power, but nobody else knows about it. And right. seeing Vader in that light, I'd, I would never have thought that, but that's exactly what's going on. Right. Palpatine's overseeing the Empire, but he needs to send someone out to hunt down the remaining Jedi, and that's actually how he controls everything. Right. Is through the muscle. Right. So... Is the operative, does he have that kind of power and standing? Like, it's really he is the threat in the Firefly universe? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, from from the minute we see him, we know that he has complete authority from the government to do whatever he wants, even though he doesn't actually have any kind of, like, credentials. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. So... Like, if the, he's the guy that knocks on your door if you're in this universe and you're immediately horrified. Because, well, or no, you have you no who idea who he is? is. He's doing everything very undercover in that way. Right. So, gotcha. so his opening scene, his, the, his introduction scene is him watching uh, archives, like security tapes 
in this government run facility. And the guy who runs the facility comes in and is like, who the heck are you? And what are you doing <laughs> in my facility? You don't have the authorization to be here. And he's mm. like, actually, no, I'm, I do have the authorization and I'm here to tell you that you're in very big trouble. It's got that. It feels like a agent Smith kind of introduction there. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, you got any, uh, further, any further word on why the operative is a six? Um, I think the big, so his, his sort of arc, we're going to, we're going to talk about a couple of scenes of his, but, but I think that the arc for him is that he isn't interested in what's right or wrong, like morals and, and those sorts of rules. Like that doesn't matter to him. He's 100% bought into his job. Mm-hmm. And like he is doing what he is told, period, and and he believes that um, they actually call him at one point they call him a believer, which makes him mm-hmm. tremendously dangerous because he believes that what he's doing is right, regardless of what it's like. Like morality doesn't play into his belief structure; hierarchy does. Is that like, here are the priorities of the number one. I'm going to execute them, even though he acknowledges in some of these scenes that he's not going to get to enjoy the spoils. Right, because it's not for him. Yeah, He knows that he's going to have to do some things that are wrong in order to accomplish the goal, in, in order to do the job that he's been assigned to do. Again, lots of Darth Vader there. Darth mm-hmm. Vader is entirely about order in the galaxy. Right. That's all that Vader wants. And and if he has to kill some Jedi children to do it, he will. Because that's, that's what it takes. And wouldn't that be true of Saruman as well, who exactly. apparently is killing kids in Rohan? Yep. Villainous side of sixes. We didn't see that. Uh, did we see that with Tyler Durden? specifically with Edward Norton's side. I suppose he comes out, his most villainous line for me is, I felt like destroying something beautiful. Um, when he just, when he beats the hell out of Jared Leto. Right. I I think I see it more in, with Durden and, and Jack, I think I see it more in, the damage that they're doing outside, like like the work that Project Mayhem is doing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what collateral damage happens. They're not concerned about who else gets affected. Yeah, here's what here's the goal of leadership. And right. that that's what needs to get executed. Right. Boom. All right, you want to describe this first scene and, and what's going on? Yeah, so the um so if you know Firefly but you don't know Serenity, then uh one of the characters in Firefly Inara, played by Morena Bakarin, has uh, she's left the ship and she's living somewhere else, and she sends a message to uh, to Mal, the main character, uh, Nathan Fillion, and and they immediately know that it's a trap, but she basically invites him to come help her with something else. So he shows up. Everyone knows it's a trap that the operative has set. And, and so now it's just the three of them in this room and Mal, in order to get in to see Inara, Mal has uh, dressed up 
like a woman because she's she's basically a really 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 fancy prostitute and so he he dressed like a woman to be able to get get near her to come and save her from this trap okay well let's have the scene plays out the operative enters and he says i have to say captain i'm impressed that you would come for her yourself and that you would make it this far in that outfit because <laughs> he's dressed like a woman i can be very graceful when i need to i have no doubt Inara is kneeling at the altar, picks out an incense stick and lights it. What are you doing? I'm praying for you, Mel. She's very thoughtful. But I mean it when I say I have no intent to harm you. Is he lying there? Uh, you're not in any danger so long as you do exactly what I tell you to there do. Is. There is the way of peace or the way of pain. Ooh, does he want to convert these two? Uh, he's a believer. He wants to convert everyone. Come on. Come be part of the tribe. Yeah. You can aid me or... Cookies. You can choose the way of pain. Come on. Maul says... Speak of peace. I think you're beginning to understand how dangerous River Tam is. You want to talk about River Tam? So River is another character on the ship, and, and the operative, like, his whole thing, his whole mission is to get her and bring her back because she was liberated from a government facility where they did a bunch of experiments on her and made her crazy. Okay. So, so the operative's job is to bring her back. Is she personally a threat or is she like evidence? I mean, she's, she has been made into, she's sort of psychic and she's been made into, uh, essentially a, a sleeper. So certain words can, uh, unlock the sleeper and then she'll just try to kill everyone around her. Oh, okay. Um, the, the exposure at the very beginning of the movie is that she was, she was in a room with very top government officials. And if she's a psychic, then she learned information from them that she's not supposed to have. Okay. Perfect. She has information and she can do great damage. Yes. Okay. Boom. She is a might unpredictable. Mood swings of a sort. It's worse than you know. Operative has his uh, thumb on a lot of this, though. Mm-hmm. He, he, he knows that she's a psychic, informed. and he knows that she's a sleeper. Mm-hmm. He does not know anything about what she knows. Mm. It usually is. That girl will rain destruction down on you and your ship. She is an albatross, Captain. Playing up ignorance of the person in front of them again, mm-hmm. just like Saruman was. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen the things I've seen. Yeah. You're going to get destroyed. You need to, to, we need to get together on the same side so that we can deal with this problem that because, I clearly Because recognize. you were in danger. Yeah, because you're in danger. Yeah. yeah, and it's not they're in danger. It's you are in danger. Yep. Does the operative feel in danger, though? At Is this he, point, no. He's not... Because uh, he's on the right team. Right. Is this the strategy for a six in this setting? Is I think first going to give you a chance. I think this is is very much in that mediator side. He's trying to to help someone who doesn't understand what he's talking Ooh. about see reason. Right. Come on. That's a big part of his conversation. So, um, I think Saruman is is debatable on his type. 
but I don't think the operative is because so much of what he's doing is trying to help the other person see reason. Mm. Maul starts playing on that line. He says, The way I remember it, Albatross was a ship's good luck till some idiot killed it. He turns to Inara. Yes, I've read a poem. Try not to faint. I've seen your war record. I know how you must feel about the Alliance. Is the Alliance essentially... It's the, the government. Empire? It's the, the government, yeah. Does it have an imperial presence? Very There's much no, so. There's nothing except yeah. overseeing a galactic the empire, The central perhaps? planets have, align, have aligned and decided that everyone else needs to be under their rule, too. Bang. Lots of assimilation, then, in terms mm-hmm. of the, the operative being the face of that. Yep. I know how you must feel about the Alliance. You really don't. Fair to say. But I have to hope you understand you can't beat us. I got no need to beat you. I just want to go my way. Is Mal essentially a Han Solo kind of character? Mal's very much an eight. Okay. Um, yeah, he's he fought unification, uh, which his side lost, and now he just wants to be left alone. Okay. The operative says, And you can do that. Once you let me take Rivertown back home. Give me the opportunity to help you. That feels like a great insight into his character and motives. He's an earner. I'm going to help you in this situation. Yeah. And let me help you. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he navigates positions himself in the world. Mm-hmm. No, no. You're working this deal all crabbed. You got to open with payment. That is a trap. I offer money, you'll play the man of honor and take umbrage. I ask you to do what is right, you'll play the brigand. I have no stomach for games. It's, is it not the case that the operative's reading his opponent in this, move, in the, yeah. in this in moment? Yeah, and, and, and playing the, like this is v- very much a six in security, playing the mediator. Yeah, there it is. It's like, like, I, I just want you to understand where we're coming from because I understand where you're coming from. I already know you will not see reason. The Alliance wanted to show me reason. They shouldn't have sent an assassin. The operative coming across as a harmless bureaucrat. He's a company man. Right. But Mal says that's not who you are. Right. Because Mal knows. Else. Mal can tell. Because Mal knows. Yeah. I hadn't thought about this in terms of like, Six is coming across as because they don't they don't reveal themselves. Talk about that. I mean, in in the case of the operative, like he's he's not going to show what he's actually capable of. He's only going to show what needs to be seen in order for him to do the will of his in order to him for him to follow his orders. Hmm. Yeah, that's and that's that's part of his job. Like he 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 essentially is not a person. He's just an extension of the will of the government. There's a good image like that. It's a again a Vader image that you're mm-hmm. losing your humanity. Yeah, the further down the dark path path you go. Yeah, right. I don't know that we can type the Borg collectively as a six, but that keeps coming up in my mind yeah. as we're talking. Yep, agreed. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. 
Uh, operative says, I have a warship in deep orbit, Captain. We locked onto Serenity's pulse beacon the moment you hit Atmo. Serenity's the ship, yeah? Yeah. So Serenity's this is Malcolm's, Malcolm's ship. There it is. I can speak a word and send a missile to that exact location inside of three minutes. Mal pulls a small device, clip wires sticking out all around it, and tosses it to the operative. You do that. You'd best make peace with your dear and fluffy lord. Pulse beacon. Advice from an old tracker. You want to find someone? Use your eyes. Trying to get leverage there. Malcolm doesn't have any leverage at all, but he's still pushing for, I have some power in this situation, yeah? Oh, I think I think Malcolm, uh, Mal, it, in in this scenario, it's it's a battle to see which one has outplanned the other. Mm. So so the operative is basically saying, I will destroy your ship in a in a second if you don't give me what I want. And Mal says, the thing that you are about to destroy is now in your hand. Uh, which is like you you want you want to find someone, use your eyes. He he's basically saying like the the pulse beacon which the operative is now holding this is something that is designed for for tracking like it's 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 a radio tracker and mal is basically saying well radio tracking doesn't always work oh is it yeah hey there's another star wars callback yep um uh, i hope the homing beacon you put on the ship is safely secure is serenity essentially the millennium falcon sort of yeah it's a junky old ship that keeps yeah yes <laughs> operative realize realizes i assume that he uh has lost a chess piece how long do you think you can really run from us i never credited the alliance with an overabundance of brains and if you're the best they've got Captain reynolds i should tell you so that you don't waste your time you can't make me angry please spend an hour with him i want to resolve this like civilized men i'm not threatening you I'm unarmed. His only motive is to get this girl and her brother. Yep. That's his whole job. That is an identity image, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's like I I complete I see my identity in the thing that I'm going to accomplish and the orders that I've been given. He has no other purpose in life whatsoever. Unless he has orders. His orders are to bring back River River and her brother. We've talked about the temptations for the three centers being, I am what other people think about me, mm-hmm. which isn't here. I am what I possess, mm-hmm. five, six, sevens, and I am what I do, eights, nines, ones. This feels more like a I am what I do. I... I would put this into an I am what I possess. Because you have the loyalty security of your master. Because, and, and because it, it's the orders. I have It's these not orders. about what he's doing. It's about what he's been told to do. The orders are almost like a, a map of his. I have these orders, so it's not just I know what to do, but they give me context and stability and... And, and this is this is how I know how to gain security is by living within this fence. This fence yeah. says my whole 
the only purpose that I am supposed to fulfill is to find and retrieve River Tam. Yeah. That's a good spin on that, on the I am what I possess. Yeah. Operative. I'm unarmed. Good. Now draws his gun, shoots the operative in the chest. Operative goes down. I that that shocked me. I was like, oh. Yeah. Well, well, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> now What's interesting, actually, beyond this is what a six would do walking into a kill zone where he's going to have a conversation with an armed man, and especially if he's going to unveil that he's not armed. The operative goes down, and uh, they move to the doorway. The operative jumps up, apparently not dead, puts Mal in a chokehold. I am, of course, wearing full body armor. I am not a moron. Wait, just let me... I'm prepared for all of the situations that might happen here. That's what it is. Yeah. And then they get into a fight. Mal says, What, no backup? Making an awful ruckus. They'll come when they're needed. Apparently, here's somebody who doesn't doubt their ninja skills. Yeah, he, like, pure security. Yeah. Which makes him a better villain. He knows that he has what it takes in this moment. Mm -hmm. For a six, that 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 is a mature place to get to, yeah? Uh, it's... I think it represents security, but it's also fully living into his identity as an operative of like his, his only existence is to follow his orders. He doesn't need to doubt whether he can or not. That's, that's his whole world. I'm thinking of both Saruman attacking Gandalf, mm -hmm. not fearing that he's going to get beat. And, right. and I'm thinking of Vader on the Death Star coming out to meet Kenobi in, in New Hope. Yeah. In both cases, these sixes are stepping onto the field of battle, and they seem fairly confident that that's the right move. Yeah, because they're they're convinced of their their orders, their their rightness. Yeah. And they'll see it to the death. Yeah, this is the play. Yeah. My team is more powerful in this situation. That's what right. it really is. Yeah. It's right. it's the orders and the you know the strength that's behind you. Right. I wonder if that's true. Is that true also of Bane? I mean, he takes over a whole city. I mean, I could see that being like he understands that he's got his underground army. Right. You know, League of Shadow. He's convinced of his. He's he's a he's faithful to that religion, as yeah. it were. Same story with Mystique, I think, in terms of like it's again an underground kind of army. Mm -hmm. Like the the mutants that are led by Magneto are very powerful and he's very powerful. And she can just obey orders, yeah. Right. Come on. Yeah. I suppose uh, anything to say about Project Mayhem on that front? And it's 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 a very similar thing. It's, and I guess it's 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 harder to point out with Tyler over Jack, mm -hmm. but like like Jack created his own authority figure. That's what it is. And and has no problem following the orders until his conscience gets the better of him, and he realizes mm. that they're doing terrible things. Yeah, we didn't get a chance to go down as that path as much with there's when we had talked about questioning orders. Mm -hmm. That's how some of that ends with Fight Club, right? Is that's what it looks like for the six to begin questioning, right? Right when when they're when the internal voice starts to become stronger, then they'll start pushing back against the authority figure. 
and that's what jack does towards like as the the situation keeps getting more and more intense jack starts to question whether or not project mayhem is a good way and then he realizes what they're doing he's like nope this isn't okay yep and that's what vader does as well right and then you start to see the the devil's advocate part of sixness come out yeah yeah that's what vader does as well right steps up throws a palpatine down a <laughs> wait, big old wait, shaft yeah. Yeah. a big sh- I, I i think that might be what doesn't uh mystique do that does she fight against uh i, I think i only watched x3 once <laughs> so <laughs> does, long ago does, i don't even remember she, you're right i think she might turn against magneto there at the end also like once he's abandoned her because she sure. got shot with the anti-mutant venom stuff he, with the cure they wanted to cure him right and uh, but they have guns that have the mutant gene killing serum inside of them, and right. she gets hit, and she turns from a blue woman to a uh, Rebecca Romaine. Yeah. yeah, and then he and then he just dismisses her immediately. Just leaves her. Yeah, yeah. You talk about that in the six abandonment. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. You've been loyal, 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 and then the. The authority says you're not good enough, or we don't want you here. This is this is one of the things. Thing. Like, this is why it's so important for sixes to work on trusting themselves. Because, Boom. like, if you don't ever trust yourself, then you'll never question the authority, and you can give yourself over to authorities like Magneto or the Emperor or Tyler Durden, who is actually a manifestation of your own self, or the Alliance in this case, or Sauron. Like if, if you don't have any self-regard whatsoever, then your allegiance is being given over to whoever is the strongest person in front of you. All those characters are expendable in the eyes of the, exactly the powerful figure. Yep. But another six that we talked about, Maria Hill, Mm -hmm. she is his number two. She's the, one of the only people that he trusts and she's always there. Because yeah, he has complete reliance on her. And he'll never abandon her because of that. Yep. And so, too, when we did the MCU, uh, War Machine is that for Tony Stark mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we're going to move on to the next scene then. The um, You want to set this one up? So, um, this is... So moving through the car- moving through the show, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you should probably stop and go watch it right now. Um, but because this is going to be a spoiler for sure, the 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 characters are trying to like the whole movie is basically about trying to get away from this operative while also trying to accomplish another goal. And uh, in their quest to get away from the operative. The operative is now starting to find all of their friends and kill all of them. And so they have one of the characters from the TV show, uh, Shepard Book, is um, like he, he's basically a priest with a sordid past that we don't know the history of. And he has also left the ship and is living on another planet and they find out that uh, they get essentially a distress call to go there 
and they find out that that the operative and his people have come to this colony and killed everyone living there. Uh, so it's like it's this little, it's this small town that's like families and and people who are not fighters and like the only thing that they've done wrong is be friends with the crew of serenity and they've killed everyone so now this is basically a phone call between mal and the operative perfect the operative says i'm sorry if your quarry goes to ground leave no ground to go to you should have taken my offer or did you think none of this was your fault convert brother join me or choose the way of pain. <laughs> I just love this. It's a, it's again one of those places just to sell the enneagram for a second, where we just go into this saying, "I think this character exhibits six motives," and then all of a sudden you begin to peel back the layers and the and their worlds and how they're navigating the world ends up being identical to all these other characters. Mm-hmm. It's fanta- It's just fantastic on that yeah, front. it works. I don't murder children. I do, if I have to. And all of our sixes have made that choice. Right. They'll do what they have to in order to accomplish their goal. And their goal is following orders. Mal says, Why? Do you even know why they send you? It's not my place to ask. I believe in something greater than myself. A better world. A world without sin. What is the difference here between the pursuits of a six and the pursuits of a one? A one, I mentioned this before, but a one is going to define goodness from inside themselves, and a six is going to define it externally. So... um, a one is going to be looking to make a better world based on the way that they perceive what goodness, what betterness is. You actually have to spend a lot of energy to convince a one that their version of whatever is like if if their version is not right, you act you have to work really hard to convince them why what they're seeing is incorrect. With a six, they're they're defining it externally. So so his vision is of a better world, a world without sin, is based on what he's been programmed with. It's based yeah. on what the alliance has told him is is the best possible thing. So that's the thing in this line. He doesn't actually believe in a better world. He has been told here's the goal, here's the target. He really believes in the authority who is pitching whatever their vision is. Exactly. But that authority could have pitched some entirely different world. Right. And his line would be exactly the same. Right. But he has fully bought in. He drank the Kool-Aid. He is 100% behind the vision of someone else. And he is not... He he specifically says, it is not my place to ask. All I'm doing is working to achieve the goals of someone else. I so want to talk about politics there, but I'm going to skip in terms of like <laughs> a, an authority figure choosing to go from one target to a completely opposite target. And everybody's just like, yep. Well, and 
I I think that there is something to be said here that it's important to know that the Enneagram is not so narrow as to say that you cannot possibly have characteristics of other types. And so there is a sickness represented in a lot of people that is much more comfortable following a leader because if they deviate away from something that they've already given their allegiance to, then they have to come to terms with defining right and wrong outside of what they've already been told. They have to come to terms with how they might have been wrong already. They have to come to terms with potentially changing sides. Like there's, this is, you can see this all over the place in stories, in, in real uh, in in actual history, the the Nazi Party, the the Germans who allowed Nazism to to happen around them, because it's it's so hard to stand up for what's right when someone else is offering you an easier path, and it it's it's like this this kind of sickness they actually say that there are a lot of people who believe that sixes are the most common type in the world and i think it's this specific idea which drives us to believe that because i i don't think that there are more sixes than any any other type but i haven't met that many people in the world so i could be wrong but this is the characteristic that i think is most common that that makes people think that there are more sixes because it is so much easier to just align yourself with someone else's agenda than to actually have to do the work of of figuring out whether they're wrong. Mm. That's a good word. So me and mine gotta lay down and die so you can live in your better world. So he's questioning the target now. Right. Not questioning the authority. Right. I'm not going to live there. There's no place for me there any more than there is for you. Malcolm, I'm a monster. What I do is evil. I have no illusions about it, but it must be done. That's a big claim about somebody about and, themselves. And I really think like this seems to speaks to me more of the nineness. Mm-hmm. The like going to nine and security and picking up some of the traits there. Being yeah completely comfortable with who he really is and fully coming to terms with the work that he has to do in order to achieve his goal. None of that matters. He's completely willing to sacrifice himself and to sacrifice whatever claims to quote unquote goodness he might have. He does not get to live in that world and he's fine with that. Apparently, his presence in that world doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's some... He's working to to create that world, not for himself. That's some toxic self-understanding. Seriously. I don't know that and I've... Pure, th- like, it's pure danger. If you ever yeah. meet someone who, who thinks like this, <laughs> run away. Because they're going to kill you. The nine who is openly saying... In acting from a place of saying, my presence doesn't matter. I'm creating this thing 
for other people in, in my presence as a mayor. That's, I don't know that I can put my finger on a nine who I've heard that kind of language from. Sure. I well, could imagine that being a heart set, but a, a lot of us who who can who can consciously acknowledge the th- that thinking, it's it's much more sort of self-deprecating or or leaning into self-forgetting. Like we, it, it's because we won't say it out loud because our presence doesn't matter. But someone who has the security to be able to continue to act and move and say that what I'm doing is okay because my presence doesn't matter. That's pure danger. Mm. Fandom says the operative frequently expressed the preferred option in detail, even as he carried out what he deemed necessary demonstrated when he addressed the approaching Mal whom he had brought a fleet to destroy with the words, we should have done this as men, not with fire. I don't know why I paired those together, but it, it struck me as an interesting idea here that, uh, well, now I have context that may not fit. <laughs> well, because it, it's he he's still trying to convince yeah. Mal that he's right. Like, yeah, it's this the, is, they, they refer to him as, I've said this several times, they, they refer to him as a believer. Like, he, he has completely given over his entire belief structure to the order of the alliance and he he would prefer that that mal just understands why he's doing that he's doing things don't you understand that what i'm doing is for everyone's good Mm -hmm. and you should go along with that yeah for that reason but instead you're going to fight me and i think i'm more powerful than you so I'm going to burn you to the ground. Oftentimes with this character, with the villainous six who actually, who is trying to get the protagonist on their side, we see the, the clash because yeah. the, the protagonist doesn't go to the other side. Right. But when they do, I don't know if this happens with the operative Vader's in my head again, because uh, Lando goes ahead and jumps on Vader's side. And now he's on the team. But once you're on the team, the deal doesn't end. The Once you're on the Emperor, team, you're completely expendable. And yeah, and you're and now the six is gonna say your desires don't matter. Your right. moral reasoning doesn't matter. And right. so once you're on the team, you need to understand that that the higher order is all that matters. Yes. Yeah. And doesn't that describe how fascist um, systems, authoritarian systems work. Right. You have been assumed into the collective, and now it's not just that you're expendable, but all of your all of your own personal longings and choices they're going to be at the whim of the the authority at top. Right. Boom. Mal says, "Keep talking. You're not getting a location trace off this wave." And every minute you keep Rivertam from me, more people will die. You think I care? Of course you care. I found that really interesting. Yeah. It's when the writer is showing you a clear, you know, contrast here. Right. Writer is also showing you that the black hat knows there's a contrast here. Right. And like, this is one of the great things about Mal as an eight. Like he, he's continually trying to show that he doesn't care for other people but anyone who can actually tell 
knows mm-hmm. that he cares a great deal. Mm-hmm. Like this matters a lot to him. And even if it wasn't for the other stuff about the story, like this might be a driving force for Mal to come after the operative because he killed his friends. It's again a move for uh, Vader tortures Han Solo, knowing that Luke will feel the pain of his friend. Vader doesn't care about Solo. Right. But Vader knows that Luke cares about Solo. Right. Using... How would this play out? He's already confessed that, you know, he can murder kids if he has to because there's right. some other authority. So once you know that, once you know that you can, there's no moral lines that you can't cross because the authority says, well, then you, you can weaponize that. Yep. You can force other people to make really terrible decisions. You're going to let these kids die? Right. It feels like and a with, comic booky villain. With a, but with a detachment that, that comes from that sort of like unhealthy nine place. Like his mm, killing kids is, yeah. doesn't matter. Yep. Because his actions don't matter. Here it is. You yeah. blow up a city. I mean, both Bane and Tyler Durden are going down that path. Right. Saruman, you wipe out all of Rohan, which you've lived in for how many hundreds of years? Right. All to appease the will of the master. Well, anything else to say about the operative? I like that he goes without a name. Yeah. Like just right? as a side note, but he's completely given over his identity. Yeah. Um, and on the fandom page, they they had his original name, but it got scratched. It essentially they said this, you know, that was that was an intentional choice. They sure. named the character and then they did exactly that. They took yeah. away his humanity. Yeah, which is correct. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know that I have any other points. I I think that this is a. I have found myself myself able to type Joss Whedon characters more consistently than almost any other writing because of the way that Joss Whedon, Whedon writes his stories. And yeah, you were really wrong about Thor, but I, I mean, with most of them, you're you're just spot on. Well, time <laughs> will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> Well, he might not be right in those future movies. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I still think he's a seven. So. It's, it's all jokes. <laughs> jokes. <laughs> all right. Well, any last words on uh, Villainous Sixes? This has been a fantastic dive into some great characters, these two episodes. Yeah. I've had a lot of fun. Um, I think Sixes, you got to learn to trust yourself. That's That's all. Like the things that nobody looks at you the way that you think you're going to the the way that you think they do and and you can do it and you got to stop stop giving over your will to someone else's authority Mm. or else you're gonna blow up planets and (laughs) kill children and (laughs) do terrible things because someone else told you to it's never a good enough excuse you know better you can do it i believe in you love it we should have had that message for all of uh, all the types, how to how to escape villainy. Sure. Maybe we can do a closing <laughs> episode. I've had some thoughts on several of them. I don't think I did it on all of them, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, hey, friends, it would mean the world to us if you would pause, take two seconds, and write us a brief review and give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. 
some of you are slacking on this because we're just not seeing any feedback here recently and apparently our numbers are going up so some of you are new and we would love to hear from you if you're new um tj's face changed on the screen i was i was picking a fight with listeners which was which was causing (laughs) some conflict and he was concerned and i want to start defending them (laughs) our listeners are don't ostracize our listeners (laughs) no any any feedback you give us uh really helps us uh motive wise um and uh it just helps other people find the show and so it means a ton to us if you take a second um you can find the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org but the best thing you can do is share this episode with somebody that you love music is by the collection out of greensboro north carolina and by tim coons in greeley colorado that's what i got you got anything else teach i got nothing He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. And I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, or you're going to end up blowing up cities and killing younglings and (laughs) not trusting yourself to do the right thing. 